Welcome to another episode of Bright Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I am your host, Kelly Morgan. I'm excited because today I want to introduce you to seasoned veteran Joey O'Connor. Joey is an award-winning screenwriter, author, speaker, and artist coach. He is the author of 21 books for adults and young adults, and he's written a wonderful book of fiction called Among Kings, which is a historical fiction novel. He is the founder and executive director of Grove Center for the Arts and Media, a nonprofit arts organization dedicated to cultivating the spiritual life and creative work of artists. He is also the co-founder of the Congo Reform Association, a nonprofit that uses story, film, and social media to help end the conflict in Congo. It is my pleasure to be speaking with him today. Please welcome the newest member of the book club, author Joey O'Connor. Joey, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and and being a member of the book club. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Kelly. So good to be with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, you are a very you're a veteran, a seasoned author. You've got 11 books out there, and so I'm really excited to hear about your journey, um, the things that you've learned along the way, and then of course any insights that you can give to anybody who's maybe just starting out. You know, maybe thinking about being published or or starting to go down that road. And so, anything that you can provide would be of value. I'm sure. Sure. I'd love to encourage new and seasoned authors today in in any way that would help them out. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, tell me about your journey, you know, how you became an author, and then we can get into like your latest book. Okay, great. Well, when I was in college, I was involved a lot with working with youth during the summer. I worked with different kind of youth ministries and camps, and I had a couple mentors who were writers. And so during my college years, I started doing what's commonly called as ghost writing, uh, assisting them in their projects. And so that's really how I got my feet wet. And then by my senior year of college, went to school in Northern California. Um, I began writing just really small articles to um, youth magazines. And lo and behold, they began to get picked up. So as a college student, I was getting a check for $25. And so I was I was really excited about that. So after college, I continued working with youth and continued working with a couple of these youth ministry mentors that I had. And I began to get ideas for publishing my own books. And uh, one of the gentlemen that was helping me out, he had an in with a publisher. And so I went through the whole process of putting a nonfiction book proposal together, book specifically targeted for high school students. And lo and behold, it got uh, picked up. And so one thing led to another. But, um, you know, the, the real irony here is uh, I was a Spanish major in college. So I never had these great dreams and aspirations to become the great American writer. I was uh I wasn't, um, I wasn't an English major. Um, my, my grammar was frankly, you know, pretty poor. Um, but it was really through learning Spanish that I was forced to learn English grammar. So for those listening, um, you, you may want to just consider, you know, you probably come to your writing with a whole different set of life skills 
that you've achieved along the way. And you can begin dumping into those things and utilizing those things as a writer. That's that's really kind of my, um, you know, uh, a path I had never planned on. And then, you know, I just kept writing and, and it's been a part of my professional life for many years now. So you write both fiction and nonfiction? Yeah, the majority of my books early in my writing career were nonfiction books. I worked with youth and then I was working with married couples, wrote a number of, of, of books, kind of marriage humor books, actually. Um, jumped around to a number of different genres and it was later in my, my 40s when I began actually uh, working on screenwriting and novel writing. So if, if I could go back and say, okay, um, you know, what is one thing that I would have done differently knowing what I know now, I would have probably just picked one genre and stuck with it because that's really how you build an extended readership over time. Um, you know, for those listening that, that really want to build the, the list of followers and readers that they have. But, you know, my, my career has been what it is and, and you learn certain things along the way. There's, there's definitely um, times when I was writing, I had three small children at home. I had to go from book to book to book to uh, get that book finished and the next one in the can uh, to pay the bills, you know. So, um, you know, fortunately, I'm in a, in a place right now where I, I can really um, be more selective and more decisive with, with the projects that, that I want to work on now. So what do you prefer to write? Do you prefer to write fiction or do you prefer to write nonfiction? Oh, that's that's a great question. You know, for where I'm at at this stage of my life, I'm 56 years old. Um, I really prefer fiction. Uh, the book I most recently wrote is called Among Kings. Um, that's involved 13 years of research. Now, it's historical fiction because the story is set in the late 1800s. But the cast of characters, the majority of them in the book, are true historical characters. So that was a challenge in itself of, of writing historical fiction with real true history that happened, but putting it in a fictional setting. And um, But the book I'm working on now, it's pure, straight fiction, but based upon modern day realities. So I prefer, I prefer fiction. And specifically, I, I really do enjoy screenwriting as well, because that craft is very different uh, than writing a, a fictional novel. So um, I, I do like a couple different genres, but um, I'm, I'm really interested in building story worlds now. So let's talk about screenwriting for a moment, because that interests me, because it seems like most people say, you know, I wrote this book and I can see it being a movie. Right, right. Right. But right. I know that it's very different the way that you write, because I think you're writing for visual um, because it's going to be a screenplay rather than a book where a book provides all this detail. Right. Uh, a screenplay, you can see the detail. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. The, the current project that I, that I just completed, it's called Among Kings, and it began as a screenplay. My brother-in-law came to me 13 years ago, said, hey, I have a story of this true uh, historical character, African-American man named William Shepard, who was born in Virginia the year the Civil War ended. He ended up becoming the first um, Presbyterian missionary to the Congo in 1890. He ended up taking on King Leopold of Belgium, and it led to the first international human rights trial. So right, we began two years of researching his story and writing the screenplay. And so the craft of screenwriting where really 
veers different than writing a novel. A screenplay, you want to get as much on the page in at least amount of words as possible. So a screenplay is really just dialogue and the narrative story, but it's very terse specific writing. And it follows, uh, a, you know, in most cases, uh, what's commonly known as a three act structure. So there's certain things that have to happen in each one of those acts. Uh, very common, you know, people who've studied English are familiar with the hero's journey. There's, there's things that have to happen in that three act structure within the discipline and the craft of screenwriting, which there's similarities in carryover in terms of three act structure for a novel. But as everyone knows, a novel has a lot more words on the page. You can be very descriptive. You go, um, you go into characters' motivations, um, what they're seeing and doing. It's much more descriptive. Whereas a screenplay, you really only know what that character is doing by what they say and what they do. And so it's very terse, but it's 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 really a it's a challenging craft. Um, but it's um, you're right. It's very visual in orientation. Yeah, I would think so. I think uh, screenplay writing is something that I've always thought about. I've never done it, right? I've never written a screenplay. I have in my head. Sure. I've never actually put it down on paper. Yeah. You know, when I when I read books that are movies, you always know that the book has so much more detail. So right. exactly. I just I just I think that's fascinating. So I'm interested in your in your book because I think historical fiction would be difficult to write because things have really happened. But now we have this fictional subtext. So right. tell us about the book. Uh, William Shepard, as I mentioned, he's a true historical figure. Uh, he was responsible for bringing down King Leopold of Belgium, who had enslaved the entire Congo nation for the rubber trade at the end of the 1800s. So the story world that my brother-in-law and I built out and what I wrote about in the novel, the story world is... The Great Scramble for Africa, which started um, with the Berlin Conference in 1884 and into 1885, that's where um, all the European nations basically said, okay, we're going to get our slice of the African cake. They're going to divide it up. And the huge tragedy was that not one African was invited into that conference in Europe, which was held in Germany. And there was no decision on part of any African who was able to influence those decisions. And so we all know there was the scramble of Africa, much of Europe gobbled up different parts of Africa, and it was Leopold who took the Congo. So you have the story world of the great scramble. You have the industrial revolution where it's turn of the century. So um, Thomas Edison is wiring whole cities across the world for electricity. What does he need for the installation on that wiring? It's rubber. Um, there's the bicycle boom, the automobile boom. What do we need for those tires? It's rubber. And what is the Congo filled with but rubber? So Leopold just sees the entire um, Congo region. And so Shepard, he went with another white man as partners. The, um, his partner was Samuel Lapsley. So here you have um, a white man and a black man who developed this dear friendship as they go a thousand miles up the Congo River and they set up their mission. Well, what did they discover when they got there was that 
Um, Leopold was uh, ruling and ruining the entire Congo. So in the 20 years that Shepard was there, he was speaking out against the atrocities and ultimately Shepard or, or King Leopold brought a slander lawsuit against him and it led to the uh, first international human rights trial. So Shepard is this huge human rights hero that it, in terms of Black History Month and people's knowledge in America, people people just don't know of them. And so um, when Ken and I started researching the story, what we discovered is that everything going on in the Congo today leads back to over a hundred years ago when Leopold stole the Congo. And what most people also don't know, uh, many people are familiar with the genocide that happened in Rwanda 25 years ago, but what they don't know is that that genocide pushed west into the Congo. It led to two Congo world wars. And in the past, um, in, uh, in the past 25 years, over 6 million people have died in the Congo. So in terms of historical fiction, we wanted to shine a bright light on the Congo over 100 years ago so people would take notice what's going on in the Congo today and hopefully uh, do something about that. We have really good friends that live and work in the Eastern Congo in the town of Goma. I've been to the Eastern Congo and, and spent time with the people there and, and you know, uh, been a part of my friend's work there. So um, that's the connection is is connecting the history of the past with the story to the present day. And so in the actual novel, um, I weave both true historical um, figures with some fictional um, figures because um, it, it's much like painting uh, an impressionistic um, painting. If, if people look at Monet's uh, water lilies or his bridge, you see all the, the colors and hints and you see, okay, that's a, a bridge, but it's a little bit fuzzy. Well, in the same way, in historical fiction, those lines do get blurred, even though there's true historical facts that have happened along the way. So you had mentioned that he's not a well-known figure in Black history, right. and he's not, but you're saying that um, he was American. Absolutely. He went to Hampton University, which back then was uh, called Hampton Technological Institute. That's right in Hampton, Virginia. Um, the professor who taught his classes, who was his mentor, was Booker T. Washington. Because of Shepard's fame and notoriety, um, before that, when he was in the Congo, he discovered a hidden African nation that no white man, not, uh, Stanley was a contemporary of his, but no white man had discovered this. And the notion was, uh, the incorrect notion was that all Africans are savages. Well, when Shepard discovered this highly advanced tribe in terms of metalworking, design, architecture, you name it, it was highly advanced. Because of that discovery, when he went back to London, he was the first black man inducted into the Royal Geographic Society. He had tea with Queen Victoria when he came back to the U.S. Um, he, uh, over the course of his lifetime, he met with four U.S. presidents. And the art collection he brought back from the Cuba Kingdom, that art collection is still now in the Hampton University Museum, and it is one of the uh, finest African art collections in the United States. So Shepard is just this legendary figure, and, and we think the world really needs to know about him because he ultimately stood for human rights and justice. 
And you said that the things that he did then are still mattering today in the Congo. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, um, uh, I have not been to the Kasai region. He, uh, uh, him and Lapsley established their mission in a little town, little village called Luebo. Um, it's really in the center of the Congo. I was more to the east, but um, still to the day from the research that I've done, um, the Presbyterian church that he established is still there. Um, the work that he's done in terms of um, his social work with the people there, his ministry, um, it still has uh, fingerprints and influence to this very day. And I'm sure he's well known in the Congo. Yes, yes, yeah. And in fact, um, uh, Lapsley, he died only two years into the mission and Lapsley is actually buried in the Congo. Wow, that is really fascinating. And so is it because of the book and all the things that you discovered? Have you actually gone to the Congo and done mission and volunteer work? Yes. Yeah, I went there in the summer of 2015. And so was it the book that kind of opened that up for you? Because did you know much about it before you started oh, researching oh. this guy? Oh, no, we, we knew nothing. Um, you know, what's interesting, my brother-in-law, Ken Straw, he came to me 13 years ago and he said, hey, 10 years before that, he had heard a small piece on NPR radio about William Shepard. And he had, uh, so he researched his life. Ken wasn't a, a writer. And so um, he had long had the dream of wanting to tell William Shepard's story. I had certainly known nothing about it. And so when we sit down and talk to people about the great scramble for Africa, about the industrial revolution, and then when Shepard came back to America, what had been instituted? Well, the Jim Crow laws. So Shepard as a man had this tremendous freedom in Africa, but when he comes home, the Jim Crow laws are, are established. And the premise that, that we, I believe, make very strong in the book, it raises the question, which is the more savage nation? Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic book. So what are you currently working on? I'm currently working on a new book called The Mineral Curse. And what many people don't know is that the Congo and the Great Lakes region of Africa is the most mineral rich section in the world, okay? And it's estimated that the Congo has more than 28 trillion dollars worth of natural resources gold tin tantalum tungsten col colton um, everything that fuels our cell phones our televisions our modern technologies it comes from minerals out of the congo and so the book that i'm writing it's it it, it points back to the past with what was called um, the mineral curse of where Leopold was stealing the ivory and the rubber out of the Congo. Well, today that theft is still occurring in many ways. The Eastern Congo is one of the most violent places in the world. So my story sets a human rights lawyer in the Congo trying to rescue a kidnapped doctor before an evil conspiracy takes over the world's mineral resources. Sounds like a movie. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds definitely like a movie. So when do you anticipate that book being finished? Well, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've blocked out the chapters, the structure, um, and now I'm, now I'm just re really working through the first draft. So that, that's gonna, that book's going to take me five to six months to write. But I'm really trying to take a lot of 
current research, one thing that we encountered when we were researching um, among kings about William Shepard, Shepard's story was so amazing. We, we kept saying, you, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just, it's, it's, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. Well, in the same way with the research that I'm doing now with how nations are going after the Congo's mineral resources, and you look at the world's financial markets and cryptocurrency and human rights issues and the conversation here in America, it's like all you have to do is just start writing because it's like, what is this world that we live in? And so the real goal here with the new book is to connect um, the past to the present, but ultimately ask the question, because the question I'm asking in Among Kings is, William Shepard took such a courageous stand for justice, and it's really asking the question, how can I, as an individual, make this world a more beautiful place? How can I have an imprint and an influence in a way that's going to bring more positivity and goodness to people's lives than all the death and theft and destruction that we see around us? So when you were researching him, and it sounds to me, because you've authored so many books, that you have maybe a process that you do before you start writing. And I would imagine that a big part of that process is research, especially when you were doing um, the historical fiction. Um, In in doing the research, you said over 13 years um, in doing this research, did you find that finding out things on him was hard? Was it hard to find information on him? Um, no, because in terms of th- there's only two major nonfiction books that have been written about Shepard himself. Um, there's uh, other books that have been written about Leopold and the Congo. So mostly all the research was done in that nonfiction domain. But what was challenging, as I've communicated to other people, is that throughout the process, we were taking a thousand pounds worth of information and trying to stuff it into a 50 pound bag. There was so much uh, information. And so, you know, if if there is uh, one of your listeners working on historical fiction or any type of project that, that, um, that involves a lot of research, the process I'm going through now is asking the question, what is most essential? What does the reader need to know because they don't need to know everything. If they want to know everything about the subject, they can read all the nonfiction books about it. And so that's where I have stacks of nonfiction books. But in order to have a a um, a, a storyline that has pace and momentum, you, you just can't info dump all over the place because people will get lost. It, it really comes down to how do how do we present this main character with a big problem and what's he going to do to get over it yeah so it sounds to me like you have a a process now is the process for you the same if you're writing fiction versus writing nonfiction well um you know no i i i would say those are two different disciplines because uh, the nonfiction really just deals with facts and scenarios with with the fiction you're dealing with story world so i'll give you an example um in writing the historical fiction story of among kings in my research um i have um william shepherd's memoirs it's called presbyterian pioneers in the congo so 
he details out his journey over 20 years in the Congo. But because he was a black man living in a white Victorian world and the image of a Victorian man back then was you don't show any of your cards. You keep this strong front. And I understand that's for survival in many cases. So in Shepard's writings, you don't really see his heart revealed. You don't see his motivations. You don't see his his feelings about things. So when you're writing, um, when you're writing fiction, you're delving into those deep emotional uh, aspects of your character. So did I have to make some of that up? Yes, I did. But I tried to do it consistently by visually showing what do we learn about Shepard by what he does, because what we do reveals that inner life, our character. So that that, yeah. that was part of my process there is like, okay, I just need to show uh, William in action and let his actions reveal his motivations. What would you tell somebody who is maybe thinking about writing a book? Maybe this is their first time out the gate and, and I guarantee there's somebody that really would love to be where you are to say, I have 11 published books. Some people are thinking I can't even get one out the door. What would you say to somebody, you know, what, what words of encouragement can you give them yep. or help them along their journey? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine this past week, who ironically, she was raised in the Congo and uh, her parents were missionaries there. So we were talking about the book that she wants to write. She essentially is a mom. She wants to write uh, stories for her son. And so that's usually where I always start with people. Start with story, because whether you're writing nonfiction and you're telling some of your story, it's your story, you get to own it. Or whether you're writing fiction, you get to create the story world and imagine and dream and create these characters. So I always encourage first time writers or writers who are still, you know, getting, you know, into the water, um, start with story and just begin making a list. What are the the top five, the top 10, the top 20 stories that really resonate with me, that really matter with me, and just begin chronicling those out. Once you do that, those pages will slowly begin to build. Then once you amass a body of work, then you can think more structurally. Some people really need to begin with a theme first. My book is about this, and this is the theme that they want to go down. You could start there. Other people say, no, I just got a bunch of ideas. Okay, if you start with ideas, just begin to chronicle those ideas in a story format. And pretty soon, that book will begin to shape uh, the form of it. I do think that a lot of first-time writers struggle with structure. And so that's where um, the more you start writing, you're going to see different themes and different um, story groups start to, to emerge. And so that's that's why I'd really encourage people to get started um, and to, to make it a, a regular um, practice, at least weekly. Some people, they don't have the opportunity to do it daily, but if you can get into a rhythm, a creative rhythm, I always tell the artists and writers I work with is that um, motivation is built by momentum. And once you get some momentum, those papers beginning to build up, the stories you're telling, that's going to develop more motivation to keep going. Yeah, that's good advice. You had mentioned early in the conversation that you started out ghostwriting. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about that. I've, I've never met anybody who ghost who has you know written as a ghostwriter. And what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So ghostwriting 
is when a writer comes alongside another established writer and that ghostwriter is essentially writing uh, either part or whole of the book, but it's the other person who has the experience, the context, and the whatnot. Um, ghostwriting projects can usually happen in terms of, of nonfiction, okay? So when we see a book by a, fa uh, a famous uh, sports celebrity, it'll say, um, you know, uh, you know, my life story by, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant. Okay. And, and it'll say with, you know, you know, John Brown. Okay. So if you see a with, that means, um, Kobe told the story, but John actually wrote the story. That's called a with title. And so, um, that's very common that, um, you know, a, a writer who might have been a ghostwriter before they've established themselves in the writing skills and they will co-author books with other people. And it, it doesn't have to be a, a famous celebrity. Um, I, I, I've had people ask me to, you know, co-write books with them before, but the ghostwriting is where um, the real writer of the project or who's writing a part of it is, is hidden. So you, you, you don't know, but they're typically named in the acknowledgements. Um, so, you know, sometimes when you see a book with a lot of different names in the acknowledgements, um, you know, it's those people probably had a hand in, in shaping the book. Sounds like ghostwriting is mainly for like memoirs, right? When people are telling their own story. Yeah, it, it can be. It can be. You know, it, it, it really just it, 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 it falls. It comes together in a lot of different forms. Yeah. So you have had um, a long career of being an author and writing. So what what is probably the hardest thing about being an author that you've experienced? Well, I think, um, and I have had different seasons because you know, right right now the projects that I, that I'm working on, um, they are um, they're, they're projects written on spec that they were written without a contract with the publisher. Where in previous years, the majority of all my books went through traditional publishing routes. So the the thing available to authors today, especially if you're a first time author writing, as you know, you have Amazon KDP, you have all sorts of self-publishing routes you can go. Those, um, even from a traditional publisher's perspective, all those routes are completely valid now because self-publishing has become so strong, so powerful. Um, there, there's, there's not a lesser than category between self-publishing and um and a traditional publisher so um you know the the thing that i think is important for uh, authors to figure out is what route do they want to go so for example for my among kings book right now um, i self-published that mainly because i wanted my older parents to get a copy of the book um, and for them to be able to see it and read it but i also have an agent who is shopping it to other publishers so you can either, you can go both routes or you can pick one. Um, if a person's going to write a book and submit it to a traditional publisher, um, it definitely has to follow a specific uh, format. If it's a fictional book, they're going to want to see the whole novel first. If it's a nonfiction, they typically uh, just submit a proposal. There's lots of good resources online on how to uh, develop those proposals and uh, and make those submissions to tr traditional publishers. So I've I've really lived and worked in in both spaces and and then the the, the other challenge with uh, self publishing it's um, self publishing has the benefit that you get the majority of your royalties 
paid for your work, but at the same time, you're doing all your own marketing. And so um, there's those challenges as well. And that seems to be a huge challenge uh, when I talk to people who self-publishing is, you know, that I figured out the publishing process. I figured out the editing process and, you know, I got a book cover and formatting and copyright. But now what do I do? Right. I've got this book. Now I've got to market it. And I think is a misconception that a traditional publisher will do all the marketing for you. Uh, it is. It is a misconception because um, in a proposal nowadays to a traditional publisher, it's very important uh, for that uh, author who wants to get published by that traditional publisher. They need to list their social media following. They need to list what their part will be uh, in the marketing. Uh, Publishers want to know if you have a speaking platform. Um, Now, I don't want to discourage first-time authors listening who say, well, I have none of that. Um, You just start right where you are and you just take baby steps, you follow the, the breadcrumbs, you talk to people, you, you you get yourself out there. And that's very similar to what musicians and actors and other creative people need to do. Uh, anyone just uh, starting a new business, you, you got to bust it and get your work out there. I think um, I have come to the conclusion that if you're going to self-publish your book, you must be an entrepreneur. Um, I have come to that conclusion and everything that I've learned um, with my journey, because um, I was a complete novice. I figured you would come on, you'd get a publisher, they would do everything for you, yeah. and you would be on book tour, you know? Yeah. C- cash in checks, yeah. cash in royalty checks. And that is such a huge misconception. Yeah. Um, and so I love it when people like yourself can come on and kind of guide us in the right direction. Right, right. And and there really are a lot of good online resources available uh, to people. Um, and, and and so I am I am I'm always what I say. I'm, I'm a player coach. I'm I'm right there with you. For those of you listening, you know, I'm spending uh, time during my week um uh, marketing my book, getting it out there. Um, you really, you're, you're absolutely cor- correct, Kelly. You do need to be entrepreneurial. You do need to take, if you if you really want to see your book get out there, you need to take it seriously like a business, okay? And and, and it's time and energy and investment. And as, as, as people uh, get familiar with your product and you build, start to build a small following, then you, you, you just keep building from there. Yeah, I would agree. So thank you for that insight. So um, the last question that I have for you is I I always like authors to leave with some type of inspiration, words of wisdom, golden nuggets, as I call them. What would you like to leave with us today? Well, I think it's really important as people sit down um, that that they really think about in to to read in the genre that they want to uh, write in. So that's the first thing that I would say. It's really important. If you want to be a writer, you need to be a reader because reader, as you read, you learn so much about writing. That's the first thing. And then um, if you're going to be a writer, um, writing is editing. And so whether you sit down and write one page a day, or if you can write three, four, five pages, realize that that work is only going to become better as you edit and hone it. Don't expect to get it right the first pass. Give yourself a lot of grace, a lot of space, but keep at it. And eventually you'll really hone that 
that um, written piece into something that you're proud of. You know, Joey, thank you so much for being here. I think that you have, your story is absolutely fascinating. I learned something that I did not know about a true uh, character, especially with um, Black History Month coming up. I had no idea about this guy. It's so interesting. But I would love to leave the door open for you to come back at any time um, and share more if you ever want to come on and talk about your other books. Um, Happy if you want to talk about your experiences in the Congo. I think it's fascinating. The door is always opened because you are now a member of the book club. Great. Thanks for having me, Kelly. It was great being with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bright Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I have been your host, Kelly Morgan. We just wrapped up with author Joey O'Connor. Joey shared with us his historical novel, Among Kings, which is now available on Amazon. He also has done some wonderful volunteer work in the Congo as well. Well, I want to thank Joey for being with us. If you are an author or someone who supports authors, like an editor or a graphic designer, we would love to have you become a member of the book club and be on the podcast. Email me at brightheadedpublishing at gmail.com. Again, that's brightheadedpublishing at gmail.com. Next Saturday, join us for another author. Can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep writing.